Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Hunt Club, which is a new type of search firm that leverages the power of relationships and referrals to find you the best talent for your organization. They have technology that will transform thousands of subject matter experts that they've pulled together into the world's most powerful talent network. And these industry leaders will refer top talent nationwide for the exciting positions in companies like yours. If you want more information about Hunt Club, send me a message or you can go to huntclub.com and you can tell them that you heard about it from me. I am super excited. Finally, we were just saying this has been a long time coming, but I'm super excited to have Jennifer Friend with me on the pod today. She has been a leader in our business, legal and nonprofit community for a long time. And I feel like she's really asserted herself over the last year during COVID. And I want to definitely spend some time talking about that today because I just feel like I see her everywhere and it excites me and and warms my heart uh, every time that I do. Uh, Before we get to hear from her and and her story and perspective and, and wisdom, let me tell you just a little bit more about Jennifer. She became the CEO of Project Hope Alliance eight years ago after a really successful career as a corporate attorney. And she was presented the opportunity to, and we're, we're gonna get into sort of how that came to, to be, but she was presented the opportunity to lead what, what now is about a 30 year old organization. So call it you know, 20-ish years in when she joined. And their mission is to end the cycle of homelessness one child at a time. And they, they do this work uh, in a number of different ways and have such a big impact in our community. Um, she's also busy in other ways. She's been the president of the UCI Alumni Association. She is an, a proud anteater here in, in our community. Um, she's a trustee of the UC Irvine Foundation, and she also advises and works with a number of other foundations and nonprofits. Jennifer, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you to take a little time and join me today on the Operate Podcast. No, I'm excited to be here, and, and uh, I know we're usually waving at one another exactly. through the through the glass during COVID. So it's nice to see you uh, up close and personal. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we see each other from afar far too often. Glad we could do this, although uh, not in person, unfortunately, still. But but that will change uh, not too long from now. I'm yes. confident. So let's start. First question: Have you gotten your vaccine yet? No, uh, we at Project Hope, because we do work with such mm-hmm. vulnerable populations, I believe that we do qualify under 1B. Okay. Uh, I was just on a call with uh, the executive committee of the UCI Foundation yesterday, mm-hmm. with Dr. Goldstein talking about UCI getting ready to roll out um, mm-hmm. some exciting news. Uh, so hopefully we will be able to get it, most particularly I would like for our team members to be able to get it. Uh, We've been in the field Mm -hmm. since since COVID forced shutdown. So we're with kids in the community in Santa Ana and Anaheim on the front lines every day. So I definitely will get that shot in my arm the second I can. Absolutely. That's what, yeah, I would think you you should be right there at the, the front and with your team as well. So yes, that's good. Well, keep me in the loop. So 
as I was saying, you know, I, I feel like I see you all over the place and what, what, you know, what is it, what has been sort of the pivot or adjustment to, to handle what you normally do? I, I always am excited to see the kids that are around most of the time that I'm not seeing, I miss that energy. Right. So tell, tell us about, you know, the adjustment and the pivot that you've had to make because of what, what's happened. It's been interesting. Uh, when COVID happened, we actually were perfectly positioned to be able to fill in those gaps mm. that were being experienced by our community's uh, children experiencing homelessness. Because we already knew where our kids were, mm -hmm. we knew who they were, and we knew what they needed. Mm -hmm. So I would say that our pivot happened more in our how. We never pivoted our mission, mm -hmm. never pivoted our why. Mm -hmm. But as you know, we're currently on school campuses full time. Mm -hmm. So we have case managers that are highly trained and skilled in trauma-informed care with their own offices uh, on public junior high, high school, and elementary school campuses. So when the schools close, as you said, you know, our access, our daily access mm -hmm. to our kids closed. So we just went to where our kids were. We went to motels, we went to shelters, mm -hmm. we went to the apartments where they were doubled and tripled up. We also opened an online learning center, which mm -hmm. I know that, that you've seen kids uh, coming mm -hmm. in there so that they had a safe, quiet place to be able to do their Zoom school mm -hmm. and especially take tests. But it was very interesting. It's um, kind of like what happens with the concept of early adopters. You've always been in that space. You're just waiting for people to join you there. Mm -hmm. When the pandemic happened, you know, we spend a lot of our time trying to convince our community that there are over 32,000 children experiencing homelessness identified in Orange County's kindergarten through 12th grade public school system. When the pandemic happened and, you know, thousands of kids just disappeared, mm -hmm from school because they didn't have access to the internet, all of a sudden, we weren't convincing anyone. Sure. They were coming to they us saw and it. Mm -hmm. they saw it. It just laid bare the disparity sure. that we already knew. So this has actually been a moment for us to be able to mobilize our community, I think in an even more effective way. Mm -hmm. um, because we always have our kids at the center, we've been able to bring together donors with other nonprofit folks mm -hmm. out there that are doing great work to make sure they can do their work, rally the community together in a way that I think some people wouldn't be ready. They'd be thinking too much, like, sure. well, what's the motive? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how does this impact my, instead people were like, were like, hey, Kids are hungry. Let's go. Kids need Wi-Fi. Let's go, man. That's so right. So we ended up taking a leap of faith and we bought, um, we started out in March accumulating Wi-Fi hotspots mm -hmm. because lawyer Jen knew that all of the law firms, accounting, all those people, they were buying hotspots for all their sure. people. So we went on a leap of faith and thought, you know what, if we buy the hotspots before they, they go away, our community is going to rise up and give us the funds we need to pay for them. Mm -hmm. And so we were ready and equipped to start disseminating them before the school districts were mm. right, mm -hmm. and it all worked out. That's amazing. Yeah. And 
I think the the if there is a silver lining, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if we can continue to drive that urgency or bias to act. Yes. Um, and you know, I I, I end up uh, through a couple of things I'm involved with mentoring a lot of younger professionals, and one of the challenges I often see is just this overthinking, over planning, over analyzing, and particularly with folks that I'm trying to convince, you've got what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Right. Uh, you know, the, the over planning, overthinking is the worst possible head trash they can you know, oh, have. It's like, death. trust your instincts and go. And at worst, you're going to stub your toe or hit your head and you adjust course, but you've got it, that bias to act. And, and that, that, that is awesome story is. Uh, I'm sure you know, catalyze a lot of other people to go, okay, she knows what she knows what she's doing here. Well, and also too, it, it levels up the accountability. Mm -hmm. So if you're allowing for fear to paralyze you at a time when your community needs you more than ever, ever yeah. then why are you there? That's right. So if we, we felt very deeply, if we didn't act for the kids, who is going to do it? That's right. So I didn't, you know, I didn't get into this to sit around and be comfortable. That's right. I would have stayed. Exactly. I'd have stayed in my corner office. Yes. Uh, if that was the case. So discomfort is, is good. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I, I posted something last year because COVID, I mean, it's obviously been disruptive, but it's a question of how do you embrace that? And I determined a long time ago, I'm weirdly comfortable being uncomfortable, but well, other people need to see that sense of stability and strength and comfort that you have. And you clearly have that. And that that's great leadership. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, you know, that's what people, that's what they count on us for. Mm -hmm. Leadership is not an easy role. That's right. So if we don't recognize that we have to be uncomfortable so that other people can actually be mm -hmm. comfortable, uh, then we're not, we're not doing our job. That's right. That's right. So just to uh, go a little bit back, this great, great place to start. I love this. Tell you, you gave a little bit of the Project Hope Alliance, uh, you know, what you're doing with the kids in the and in, in and through the schools primarily and, and some of that, but walk walk us backwards a little bit and give me the Project Hope Alliance story just so we can make sure my community understands it a little bit better. Well, really, we want to make sure that our kids have what they need to be able to graduate from high school. Mm -hmm and then go on to be financially independent adults. So we're upstream. Mm -hmm. We believe very much that if we invest in our kids today, that we're gonna see dividend returns generationally. Mm -hmm. So even if we just kind of look at the data, we know that a student experiencing homelessness without a high school diploma is almost 400% more likely to be homeless as an adult. Mm -hmm. That's that one data point. So if we get our kids to graduate from high school, the national average is in the 60s, mm -hmm. we're in the mid 80s. Wow. So we're already mm -hmm. um, doing great work. It's just the numbers are increasing. If we can do that, then we found, we partnered with Edwards Life Sciences mm -hmm. to look at our data, look at county data, 
And they found that we're actually contributing, our kids are contributing $75,000 a year annually to Orange County's economy because we've gotten them to graduate from high school. And if we think about the cost of maintaining chronic adult homelessness versus the cost to prevent Mm -hmm. homelessness, that's a no brainer. Exactly. But more importantly, you know, you're talking about people having what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Our kids know how to reverse engineer things better than anyone. Sure. I mean, they know what the obstacles are, they know where they want to go, and they continue to show up and try every single day, despite all of those obstacles. Mm-hmm. And they're successful. One young man just got into NYU, which Amazing. is the same school, right? He's been experiencing homelessness for almost two years, couch surfing, sleeping at other, and he still, during a pandemic, managed to get straight A's and get into NYU. Mm. So... All day long, I'm going to bet on and invest in these kids because they're going to be our future leaders. That's right. That's right. How do we connect them or how do you and then, you know, we as you draft others in, how do we connect them to that imagining or seeing a world that's different? That is the world that they should be a part of, because I totally agree with you. They have the grit, they have the resilience, the adaptability, the kinds of skills that our world only increasingly requires right. for people to be successful. Um, how, do, how do we show them how to apply that in the, the highest and most productive way? Well, some of the ways that, that we can do that as a community is really just showing up for our kids mm-hmm. with whatever tools you have. So we have opportunities at Project Hope for mentorships um, and and mentors, but we also partner a lot with our community college and our four-year university partners to bring them onto campuses. They go to UCI and they stay in the dorms for an entire week, Mm, go into the classroom and they see themselves in that environment. And they get to meet other kids who have similar challenges and obstacles Mm -hmm. who also want to be in that environment. But then we do other things like take them on tours at Taco Bell, which what high school kid or junior high kid, uh, my own included, except for my daughter, um, (laughs) who doesn't want to go to Taco Bell, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But putting them in those environments and letting them even know what's possible from a job perspective, because a lot of kids don't realize that, you know, sitting down and figuring out how to design a chair that's comfortable is a thing that you Mm -hmm. could get. That's right. Or we had one kid who was really great at um, artistry on shoes. And so we got Vans to donate blank shoes and he, we got him all of the paint supplies that he needed and he started making mm. individual shoes and selling them. Mm-hmm. That's a job, absolutely, right? But unless you have exposure to different types of things, going to the theater, we take our kids to the theater. Mm-hmm. One kid thought, wow, someone's job is to do the lights. That is so cool. But unless you see things, you That's can't, right. you can't aim to be them, you know? Right. Yeah, it is to your point. It's, it is exposure. It really and is. And that, that exposure and, and that, and that's, I think the, the key is, is, you know, folks like you exposing them and also in, I would even call it giving them permission to think differently, think bigger. Uh, and and have that confidence. Well, that and taking 
Yeah. And taking things, you know, having experienced homelessness as a kid and having lived in motels with my three brothers in Orange County off and on um, during my junior high and high school years, I was the oldest. And so mm -hmm. I was worried about how do I get babysitting jobs to help my family buy food? Mm -hmm. I was not focused on you know, should I try out for this club? Should I, you know, Model United Nations was the one thing that I did because I did it really well. And there were parents that would scholarship me to compete at Harvard and those places. But at Project Hope, we get the opportunity to give kids the space to explore what their interests are. Mm -hmm. So if they know that if they trap for the school play or for the marching band, that they're going to have the resources they need to get to rehearsal, to get to practice, to have their uniform, then it creates the opportunity for them to actually do that. And that just creates a mind space for them to mm -hmm. really know everything is possible for them. Because when you're worried about how you're going to help your parents buy food, you're not dreaming about, you know, becoming a stage artist or an engineer or a astrophysicist. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. Yeah. So one of the reasons I started, I mean, you know, the, these are the stories that led me to start the, the podcast was I just, I've, I, I'm so privileged. I get to meet people like you, leaders in our community, innovators who are solving big problems and doing it in really neat and creative ways. We, we need to hear these stories. I think, you know, we, we need, um, even particularly in this community, we, we need that inspiration and that connectedness. What, what, where, how do you think we can do that better? How do we, how do we get more people in our community to participate? To participate in the connectedness? Or in, in all of it, in, in all of it, and in, into, uh, you know, come out of the, some of the comforts, come out from behind the gates to get involved. Well, I think that first it, you have to be authentic. And I know that's kind of like, here are these buzzwords mm -hmm. that always drive me crazy because we just keep repeating the words, but no one necessarily knows what they mean, mm -hmm. but we just repeat them because it makes us sound like we're reading the same <laughs> ink articles. Sure. PR articles, right? Uh, but vulnerability, I actually think, and authenticity, mm -hmm. there's so much truth to that. Yes. And, you know, really talking to one another about what our aspirations are. Like you, you, you have to let people know you in order to help you grow. Mm. If you don't show up with your whole self mm -hmm. and you don't let people know, Hey, you know, I'm really aspiring to take my business in this direction, or I've always really wanted to grow in this way, then no one in community can help you get there. You just will live on your own little island feeling like, man, maybe if I read another book, I'll figure it out. It doesn't work mm -hmm. that way. That's right. Totally I mean, it's a team it's, sport, right? I mean, life, life right. is a team sport, right? And, and I think that, yeah, that, that I, we, we, we totally connect on that. Well, and it's important for, you know, those of us that are raising the next generation, it's important for our kids to see that life is a team sport. Yes. And Orange County is very fascinating. I've lived here my entire life. Uh, you know, I, I lived what I 
call a economically schizophrenic childhood. Hmm. So, you know, I lived on East Ocean Front in a six bedroom house. I went to Newport L through sixth grade. I lived, you know, off of Santiago in a, a bit. And then I lived in motels and slept on people's floors and their houses. And mm-hmm. um, so I've lived here my whole life, in particularly in the Newport Mesa area, even though I graduated from junior high and high school in Huntington. Uh, mm-hmm. We lived in a lot of winter rentals around here. One of the best and worst things about Orange County is that we have two sides of it. We have one side that is not authentic. It's very much all about making sure everyone thinks you're keeping up with everybody else. Mm -hmm. We saw a lot of that before the last uh, market crash Mm -hmm. and that got dismantled a lot. And I saw some of my, the things I love. There's also though, this very interwoven sense of community Mm -hmm. that we have in Orange County um, that we allowed ourselves to forget and lose sight of. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that when we show up with authenticity and we show up with vulnerability and we let people know who we not only are, but we aspire to be, Mm -hmm. then it allows for us to build one another up in new ways, whether that means helping a friend take a a career change. I Mm -hmm. never would have had the courage to leave my law firm partnership to come to Project Hope if it weren't for my friends. And I want to hear that story. Well, it's a crazy one. Um, So my brother saw the Motel Kids of Orange County on HBO. It was a documentary about the origin of Project Hope. He Mm -hmm. gave me a call and said, hey, Jen, you need to watch this. We need to figure out what what we can do to help Mm -hmm. at this time i was like 40 and my family had never shared that we'd been homeless Mm -hmm. and both our parents were still living and and um so fast forward watch the documentary we find out where the board for project hope when they were meeting we crashed Mm -hmm. a board meeting and i walked out the secretary of the board Mm -hmm. after going to one meeting Mm -hmm. you know type a overachiever whatever that is yes Uh, So at the time, the organization had an operating annual budget of like $40,000. So that would have been in like 2000, 2010, around there. Uh, And so I got involved and then an entrepreneur by the name of Hayes Drumright, who founded Trace3 Mm -hmm. and Pop In, he became the president the chair. And so he and I had a lot of conversations about how we didn't have a lot of time to just sit around and talk about problems. And he put his money where his heart was. And he and the Trace 3 family basically put together half a million dollars. And he and I decided we're going to do something. So I got more and more involved with the board. I then shared my own story that ended up on the front page of the Orange County Register of having been homeless as, as a kid. We built this art piece that was a mock of the motel room that my mm. family of six and I lived in at the Tropic Motel. Uh, reporter came out to talk about the art piece. I ended up sharing my story. That was the first time. So I went from zero to a hundred. Once my story was out there and I saw how people were responding to it and I saw an invitation that people were actually giving me to talk about what it was like for our kids and to talk about what homelessness looks like for families and children and youth, 
my heart started really tugging on me that maybe that was my purpose. So uh, at the time we were looking for a new executive director, I think our total operating budget moved all the way up to like $80,000. And we kept growing the organization. I came to my husband and I said, I think I need to leave my partnership and go to Project Hope. And he said, yeah, we can't do that, right? We have two kids, we have a mortgage in Newport, like, you know, and I said, I, I feel like God's calling me to do this. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm terrified, but I actually think this is my purpose in life. So he did the math and he said, we have enough credit cards that we can live on credit cards for a year. So we'll give it a year. Mm -hmm. And that was eight years ago. Uh, we now operate at about $2.4 million. Uh, we, you know, last year served almost 2000, um, kids and, and families. And, you know, it's, uh, it is my why Mm -hmm. it's my purpose. And I'm very fortunate to have been able to find all of that in one thing. Um, but you know, fear and faith go hand in hand Mm -hmm. as one of my best friends says, and, I wasn't built to live in the comfort zone. It's just not my place. Mm-hmm. Most entrepreneurs, that's not, that's not our place. That's right. Is not, is, you know, all my brothers are entrepreneurs as well. Mm. Uh, and your and father was too, right? <clears throat> he was, yes. Yeah. I, I would say that a lesson though, that, that um, my father uh, could teach a lot of entrepreneurs in his legacy is that if your pursuit of your dream is sacrificing your family's stability, you gotta, you gotta find a new dream. Mm. Yeah. Because sometimes there's that, you know, we push and we push and we push and that drive is what makes us think, no, I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, there, there's a balancing act. You know, uh, my dad was crazy in the seventies. He thought that one day everyone was going to walk around with a personal device, Mm -hmm. phone device. Mm -hmm. And so he started building those giant briefcase things for the Mm -hmm. phones to go in. Sure. Um, And if we were rich, dude, we'd be like Bezos right now. Yeah. But we weren't. So, um, but yeah, he was. And my brothers and I learned a lot about, about, Mm -hmm. Um, how to reverse engineer from our dad, um, how to make a pitch, mm-hmm. uh, tenacity, um, which has good sides and bad sides mm-hmm. to it. It's mm-hmm. kind of all about, you have to still know what reality is, even sure. while you're pursuing a dream and a vision. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so much goodness in that. And, and, and a lot of that, I mean, I think the, the part about, uh, I mean, it goes back to that life is a team sport is, you know, you, you know, I, I, I met my wife when we were freshmen in now wife and when we were freshmen in college. And so we've grown up, you know, for the most part, grown up together. And one of the, one of the problems I've identified as an entrepreneur probably since she met me. Um, but I've, I've always had that view of, yeah, I can only go up to a certain point. Right. And right. maybe that's held me back in some respects, but I'll tell you, we, we've had a pretty healthy relationship because of that, because you have to have some amount of priority 
You do. Uh, and and, yeah, if you're going to have other people involved, it's a different story. It. If you're if you're, all by, if you're all by yourself, it's a different story. That's, that's right. right. But when you when you enlist people on your team, mm -hmm. then being a leader means that you owe an allegiance to care for those that's right. that are in your care, and that includes first and foremost your family, that's right? right? That's right. And and that is something that you know I've observed I've observed mm -hmm. firsthand. And I think that it has given me some discernment around mm -hmm. when, when do you say, maybe it's just not now, mm -hmm. you know, to have, to have that, that filter and decision-making because anyone who tells you they're fearless is like a lunatic. So <laughs> don't, you know, right. it's, it's when you say, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I thought about it. And the risk reward analysis pays off. Mm. Um, so you you have we have to still use our brain. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's so helpful because yeah, I, I would say I identify as fearless in general, but I have a I do have a a line or a floor, however you want to describe it. That, that I'm not going to cross, even though I would say in general, I'm moving, looking ahead, I'm pretty fearless. Um, but it, it, but there is a risk management element to that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting because people started referring to me as fearless, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm saying it, like, I feel like with you being yeah. out there as much as I've seen you, I go, that is someone, I mean, bold, courageous, all of those things. Yes. So I'm not, not to be, I'm not trying yes. to myself, but I, I am, I am, I, can tell. I am courageous. Yeah. I am bold. I'm very tenacious. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, there's not a single thing I wouldn't do for our kids mm -hmm. because I believe deeply that if I'm not willing to do it, no one else is going to be willing to do That's it. Right. So all day long, I'm going to get in the front of the line, mm -hmm. whether that means, you know, I was out there, which I was, and it was life-giving passing out those Chromebooks, passing out the Wi-Fi hotspots, sitting with parents while they were crying, saying that they now had no job. Their kids, they had three kids who are all trying to get onto school on their mm -hmm. iPhone. That was like going in and out. Um, but I think that, I think that in, in my courage, what I've, what I've learned at the ripe old age of almost 51 now mm. is that it's Useful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's the zoom filter. Um, is that it's not about being fearless. It's more about being courageous and being willing to be that, that person in the arena mm -hmm. and just saying, I will take the consequences. Yes. I, I recognize what they are. I've thought about them. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm just all in. Yes. So I'm, I'm all in, right? Like mm -hmm. I, that's, and that gives me the liberation sometimes to lead in a way that maybe others can't. Mm -hmm. I'm not in this job for the money. Yes. I'm not in this job for any fame. Mm -hmm. I'm not in this job for, you know, uh, self-grandizing or any, I'm in this for the kids. Mm -hmm. So I get to be bold in a way, cause I don't really care. Like right. if it doesn't work out, you know, over here, that's fine. I'm. I'm, my focus is on the kids. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of amazing partnerships come from that pure place of just wanting 
to execute on a common mission, mm -hmm. you know, and whether that is in the social impact sector or that's in the, the for-profit sector, the pure desire to want to execute on a shared common vision and mission is powerful. Oh, it's so powerful. Because you'll get hit in the face and you'll get up together. That's right. Yeah, and so, then we, so powerful. Well, I mean, even as I sit here hearing you, I think, wow, there's so much more, you know, you, you can take Project Hope Alliance far beyond Orange County. This is, yes, you know, and, and with, with obviously COVID, this, this is a much bigger problem than it was a year ago nationally in yes. communities all over. And just what you've learned, what you've accomplished in the last several years has a, a program that others that want to be you in, in their community should be able to, to emulate. No, it's exciting. I was just on a call building, building that out. Um, I had already built out a scale plan. I always like to be ahead because if mm -hmm. you don't know where you're going, you're not ever going to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and that's what this type of an environment is ripe with opportunity. That's right. It's all about who steps into the vacuum, who steps into roles of leadership when other people are paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And we, we were never thwarted. We, we ran into the burning building and we pulled people out. Mm -hmm. And um, people now know we know how to do that. That maybe didn't before, mm -hmm. which is a, a great place to be because we do know how to do this. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and I think it probably gives you that confidence that, you, you know, more than ever of, hey, there, there are probably new ways to scale this, as you said, but also to create even sustainability. Right, that's right. It, that's right? absolutely. Which is often one of the, the challenges. I had uh, one of your colleagues here, Nicole, from Goodwill on last year. And one of the great things about Goodwill, in my mind, is just how much of that is sustainable. Yes. And um, almost a dream for a lot of people trying to run organizations. And, and why, you know, I grew up in a family business that was multi-generational and my dad sold it a couple of years ago so he could retire. And it was almost 150 years old at the time, but it was such a force for good in this community in just how involved it was in so many different ways. And so part of what I've always had kind of in my DNA is this idea like business is one of the best forces for good because of that fact that it has to continue to turn a profit to sustain itself so it can continue to to do that and so one of the things that's most excited me in the last handful of years is just you can feel the momentum coming of double bottom line and a renewed interest in the impact that business can have and I've always felt like my best purpose in the world is in the marketplace, but to have that kind of impact. That's right. That's and that you can do so much more. And it's not, you know, in 146 years, I can tell you, we were never about how do we maximize profit to the penny this year? Right. That was never the objective. And I think hopefully the tide is turning that that it should not be the overall objective of quarterly profit, annual profit as the single success metric, which distracted a lot of people and caused a lot of really 
uh, unhealthy behaviors. Well, it did. And then even if you look at it, you need future customers. So That's if right. you decimate That's right. community, then you have no future customers. Right. So ensuring a healthy community is ensuring your sustainability. Exactly. I would say that one of the most interesting um, things that, that I've learned coming from for-profit sector to leading a nonprofit is a lot of people don't realize that a CEO of a nonprofit does the same thing as mm -hmm. a CEO of yes. a, of a for-profit, but we do it without the ability to sell any kind of product for our sustainability. Mm -hmm. So it's reliant upon people to give to us because they understand that a healthier community mm -hmm. is ensuring their sustainability, That's right? right? That's so right. We get all of our kids who are experiencing homelessness to graduate from high school, and they're contributing on an annualized basis, a minimum mm -hmm. of $75,000 a yep. year to our local economy, then mm -hmm. that's going to be your future customer. That's going to be your future home buyer, right? As opposed to you having to figure out how you pay additional monies and taxes and different things in order to maintain chronic okay. adult homelessness. Mm -hmm. But there... I, I think that um, there's a cross-sector appreciation right. opportunity mm -hmm. that, that we can have where business leaders can appreciate that investing in the sustainability of a nonprofit, you know, so that we can make the best decisions, not the decisions based on how much we have in our, in our bank account right now, mm -hmm. but we have some leeway because you make yes. better decisions That's right. when you have runway. Mm -hmm. Um, that that actually is a bottom line fiscal benefit to them, mm -hmm. you know, because it's, it's interesting. There are theories of thought that we're supposed to completely eliminate everything from our banking account every single year mm -hmm. and start over. Mm -hmm. And you have smaller nonprofits like a Project Hope where we pretty much, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. But if someone came in, you give that capital investment that allows for the runway. That's, that's right. when you start flying to Arizona, to other places mm -hmm. to talk about the scaling up of, of, a, of an idea that sure. generates serious fiscal benefit. That's right. Well, or, or you start to create, I mean, I think what, what I find interesting is that opportunity of like, how do you create almost like a dual purpose entity where you take the Project Hope program and you go take that to Arizona and to them it is a a for-profit for you to continue to grow and sustain but it's all under the so they're, they're just the, the models I think the that we're going to continue to see more at least my hope is we'll continue to see more creative thinking like that um, because to your point like you, you you have that sort of existential risk Right. In theory, every year, most most business owners don't want to have to have that every year. That's just that's a really uncomfortable place that you're trying to like, I want to get to profitability so I don't have to constantly be on that. Wheel. Right. It's interesting, though, because it does require a paradigm shift sure. from the investor. Mm hmm As well as a paradigm shift from the leader. So like, mm -hmm. I'm already there. And great, we are very grateful to have investors and our mm -hmm. kids that are there too, right? Mm -hmm. So what we get to unlock because of that. And there are, there are a lot of interesting things with B Corps. I mean, there's a lot, yes. of, there's a lot of cool stuff um, that you know, my lawyer had mm -hmm. 
always, always is, is fascinated in. But I really think that this moment in time is ripe with opportunities for all of us. Yes. To do more good and to be better. And that, that is what 100%. makes it hopeful. Yeah. It really does. And the fact that we have these amazing kids that are so creative, I mean, they should be teaching entrepreneurship. Yes. That's right. Yeah, I, I, that's right. I, I, the ideas can come from anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And I think our, our job is to be the, give them that voice when they don't have it, give them that access when they don't have it, give them the confidence. I mean, you know, with, with our venture studio, somebody last year said, well, what are you selling? And I said, I'm selling confidence because I, I want that person to go They're They're, they're have an idea burning and I want to, give them the confidence that they can do it and they're going to be supported to go do it because that's how they're going to have the greatest impact on the world. Right. And back to what we were talking about. I mean, that's, that's how we lift each other up and supporting each other is, is there's enough, right? I mean, I think that abundance mentality yes. is something that, that, that I feel like we do need to bring more of. And I, I had someone say, I think partly the business culture, which based on something like largely based on something like real estate feels like a fixed buy and transactional culture can have an impact in holding people, keeping people in that mindset of, oh, there's only this much and sort of that hoard or, or fear. And so, yeah, it's, I think our job is to have to keep saying, no, there's, there's plenty. We can, we just Whoa. have to, we have to do a better job of helping connect those dots together. Because it has a multiplier effect. That's right. So especially that was that was the second uh, learning for me. I think, you know, my nickname in law school was Pollyanna. So, mm. um, and I think Pollyanna was a badass because she had the courage to be optimistic. It mm -hmm. takes far less courage to be a pessimist. Yes. But that, that is, that's my, my personal uh, mm -hmm. belief. But the the scarcity mentality and its grip and control on the nonprofit sector is real and it is deep. Mm. So you talked about one of actually my my best uh, sisters and good girlfriends, Nicole Sudan, mm -hmm. earlier. I was immediately attracted to her when I came into this space, not only because of her just generosity of spirit, sure. but because she fundamentally got the abundance mentality mm -hmm. and that when we come together for a common purpose and a common good, more people come That's right. with us than if we just try to stay in our own silo or silo of excellence. Mm -hmm. um, and some really amazing things have come out of this pandemic exactly in that way. Um, mm -hmm. Nicole and I just teamed up in 72 hours. We were able to bring in our friends over at Second Harvest Food Bank and mm -hmm. Bracken's Kitchen. And we, we were able to feed over a thousand kids. We mm -hmm. put the food distribution for a thousand kids together between she and I, it didn't take more than two hours. Okay. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But it shouldn't be amazing. That kind of, we yeah. found out that Santa Ana Unified ran out of federal funds to feed their kids through the holiday break. Mm -hmm. That's not okay to me. No. So I text 
I text Nicole, I think it was like three minutes before she said, do it at Goodwill. My team knows how to do the distribution. We got on the phone with Harold. Harold said, we'll give you the food. Called Bill. Bill's like, 100%, I'll bring that food. Called a, a company. They said, we'll give you volunteers. That's how it should be when you yes. realize there's enough to go around and we're better That's right. together. That's right. That's right. And, and now with technology, that should be easier than it's ever been. Yeah. And in, in that case, right, it, it, it probably that helped, I'm sure. But that's, that's what's kept me around uh, the technology world for so long is that I just saw, wow, you, you build it once and now your cost to, to distribute this is so low. You know, this should be the great equalizer. This will be the things that also take people out of some of these jobs that aren't very human feeding, their rote, their routine, they're mindless, they're not doing the best that that person can do in the world and that this will free them. We Now we need to invest in them to equip them with, with this thing. So you know, that that's what gets me excited about the good it can do. Yeah. Right, but, but, but to your point, the, the negative spin often can be, oh, we're taking away all these jobs. But as a community, we need to help, help folks get, you know, get equipped for the things that are more life-giving to them. That's right. Right. Which create opportunity. Like those are, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when it works. It is. Opportunity is always a beautiful thing. So you talked about that the, you know, you felt called to do this, but you made a really significant transition going from, you know, having partners and resources and going into to Project Hope at a time where it, you know, as you said, the budget was not very much. For those people, a lot of people, I think, in the last year have, have contemplated what you've already gone through, I think. I think this COVID year has caused a lot of people to really reflect, am I doing what I should be doing? Am I living as intentionally as I could be? How, how would you at least uh, encourage or, or share your experience in that transition? So, I mean, you know, there's the part of my experience that I shared with you where I sat mm -hmm. at a desk in a multi-purpose room trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to print on letterhead for two hours <laughs> and was reduced to tears thinking, what in the world did I just do? I can't mm -hmm. even print a letter. How did I go from arguing in front of the court of appeal to not being able to print a letter? Sure. Uh, but that's not the part, that's not the takeaway because this is this will always be the best decision I, I ever made outside of marrying my husband. Mm -hmm. I would say that you want to be at a place where you can bring your whole self. Mm -hmm. So you were saying earlier, and I absolutely agree with you that your place to do the most good is to be in the public sector and the public marketplace. Mm -hmm. You can multiply your impact in, in that lane. Uh, so it's not that people need to all leave their jobs and go, mm -hmm. you know, um, but if you feel that you have to compartmentalize who you are as a person, mm -hmm. right? Like your values, your morals, your personal philosophies and approaches on life. If you feel that you have to compartmentalize those things to continue to show up to work every day, your employer is kind of getting ripped off mm -hmm. on top of you getting ripped off. Mm -hmm. 
because as an employer, I want my team to bring their whole self to work every day mm-hmm. because that's who I hired. Mm-hmm. I hired every part of them. That's right. And sometimes the parts that they think are their greatest weaknesses are actually their greatest strengths. Mm. So I don't want them self-selecting who or what they bring of themselves to this work and mm-hmm. to this mission. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you know we're sitting at home on our Zoom calls and we're feeling like this isn't all of me in a significant way, then we should be we should be reevaluating where we are mm-hmm. and what we're doing. We are always going to be better if we bring our whole selves. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought that the fact that I was homeless as a kid would make me really good at my job. Mm-hmm. That's absurd. I spent 42 years, you know, trying to get out of the imposter syndrome because I was homeless mm-hmm. as a kid. But leaving that part of myself out made me less impactful. Mm-hmm. So I think that if we really are struggling feeling that we can't bring our whole selves to what we do, then we need to do something else. Mm. And there's plenty out there. There to, is. To find it, right? I mean, and it, it may it may cause a little bit of challenge in the short term, like putting things on credit cards and yeah, yeah things that I've done to have to, to fuel some of my adventures. Right. But, but if I, I could not agree with you more. That is, that's such a powerful way to, I think, describe and give people a, a, an evaluation tool. And if they need help, to probably ask people close to them. That's right. That's right. And everyone has like, you know, that one person that they work with that really knows all of them. Mm-hmm. And kind of saying, am I different? when I'm doing my job, like is lawyer Jen different than, you know, Saturday afternoon Jen? And if they tell you yes, then you really need to look at that. Mm -hmm. So good, so good. I don't think I asked this and we're coming up against our time together. What is it about Orange County that you most appreciate? The community. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very grateful. My husband, has done an incredible job of making it possible for um, me to take this this job, and and um, he's held up a lot of the the you know family flag. Mm-hmm. So I feel very blessed to be able to have my kids grow up in the same neighborhood that when things were good, I was mm-hmm. I was able to be a part of. You know, I'll go to a PTA meeting. And I'll see a kid I went to school with. Mm-hmm. And there's something very meaningful. I, sure. I like, I felt very disconnected a lot in, during those years, those junior high and high school years. And coming back and being a part of a community where I have very strong memories mm. makes me feel uh, very connected. And there are a lot of amazing, you know, Orange County is all about entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. There's a, oh, it's it's just that thread runs through here so strongly. I agree. It it does. Mm -hmm. It's very different from from LA Mm -hmm. and it's very different from San Diego. 
Orange County has a lot of self-made self-starter people who have gotten to uh, positions of affluence. Mm -hmm. And that um, appreciation of hard work, appreciation of gratitude and um, community is something that, that I really cherish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And how do we, you know, as we talked about earlier, I think we just need to continue to talk about that and how to help reinvest in, in the community so that it, it, it continues to reinvent and flourish. Yeah. Because it, it you know, there are, there's incredible talent. I mean, I applaud what schools like UC Irvine and Cal State Fullerton do with first generation students. Yes. And as a community, we need to wrap ourselves around them as well to make sure even things like getting them from school into the, the world is successful because that's, that's, that's where that full, you know, that $75,000 a year that you talk about yep. um, can multiply. And well. that's, and we need to, we need to claim that, that that's who we are and we need to make sure that we're staying on that track. So yes, when sir. we diverge, and we're looking more like shows on Bravo than we are who we know ourselves to be, then we need to, we need to call and, and rein that in. Mm -hmm. But this county is doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. And we have incredible academic and business institutions here that are unparalleled. Yep. And we have everything that we need. That's right. We just, we just need to make sure we're activated yes. to step into the need. That's right. Yeah. So good. Well, thank you so much for joining. I mean, this is oh, so, so much goodness in this conversation, so much to share. I, I know my audience will so appreciate you and your wisdom and your perspective. And, and thank you for everything you do in the community. You, you are a beacon of shining light and and hope and optimism that obviously we need now more than ever in this uncertainty ahead, but we, we need stalwarts like you to, to help, help us navigate through and know that um, it's not going to be going back, but we can all go forward better together. And so thank you for sharing that and being that. And uh, I, I look forward to hanging out in person when we yes. can. That would be outstanding. Yes. Well, we'll talk soon. And All right. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.